We're going to continue our series of Rhythms of Grace today. And every time I think about the title of our sermon series, uh, the words from uh, one of my favorite people, uh, Dallas Willard, ring in my head. Dallas talks about the transformational power of spiritual discipline. And uh, what he helps us understand is that it's the work of the Spirit through the disciplines practiced that bring us life. It's the work of the Spirit through the disciplines practiced that brings us life and transformation. When he's talking about spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines, paraphrasing his quote, I might not get it exactly word for word, but I can tell you the gist of it is simply this. He says, practicing spiritual disciplines allows us to do what cannot be done by sheer force of will. Right? You know what sheer force of will is, right? You know, it's that, it's that knuckle-numbing grip, grip that you place on things. I've got to, mm, and we just set our mind to doing it. And that's sort of like understanding the source of power for transformation exists singularly within me. And that's not what, that's not, that's not what Scripture teaches us. It's the work of the Spirit within us. We have been brought into relationship with Christ by the wooing invitation of the Spirit who is always present before us, behind us, above us, beneath us, around us, and within us. We'll never go a place where the Spirit has not been and is not already there. And so today, I think of the rhythms of grace as the beautiful invitation that comes to us from the heart of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit for our benefit and through us the benefit of others. Today I want to talk to you about the rhythm of grace in rest. The rhythm of grace in rest. And to do that, I want to take you to Hebrews chapter 4. And I want to talk to you about the invitation that's available to us to enter into the rest that God has provided. So, as we move into it, the backdrop of Ephesians 4 is simply this. The followers of Jesus are experiencing and living in extremely difficult times. Uh, persecution and threat of martyrdom are real. And the compassionate under-shepherd, the writer, the pastor who provides this letter for us, actually, who is, uh, we can't really identify who he is. There, there's ideas about who he is, but no one's really sure who he is. But what we do know about him, we know he's a compassionate under shepherd and he knows Jesus and he knows Jesus and wants us to know that Jesus welcomes us into deep relationship 
He wants us to know about Jesus. He wants us to know that Jesus is the radiance and glory of God. Therefore, he's better than anything ever else in the world. He's the best representation, the best image, the best bearer of who God is, for he is God. And we understand that Jesus is the radiance and glory of God, and that if we listen to him, obey him, and follow him, that we will find life in the midst of the storm. Life in the midst of the turmoil and trouble. Life in the midst of threats and violence. What we know is that the message of Hebrews is simply this. Following Jesus is worth every trial and trouble. The primary primary call to attention in the book of Hebrews is simply this. Pay attention. Pay attention. Rest and hope are available in any circumstance that comes our way. Now, If you'll go there, you'll get a lot of background and backdrop. Yeah, I'm coming in and out. The, the tech guys are after it. They're, they're moving. I think we're back now. So for us, the background simply is this. Pay attention. Rest and hope are available in, in any circumstance that comes our way. So let's read the text together. You can follow along with me. It's going to be on the slide behind you. Therefore, since the promise, this is uh, beginning with verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you have found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Who is they? Well, Jesus uh, Jesus is being presented to a, a Jewish community. And this, this is so familiar, this, this backdrop of Exodus and Egypt and the journey is so familiar with them. He just launches into say, to pay attention to this, you have to remember the people you're connected to because they didn't find rest because of their, we keep reading, because of their rebellion. So don't miss it because of your pride and your rebellion. So he's talking about not just knowing Jesus, but he's talking about two different kinds of people. People who are soft-hearted and humble, and people who are proudful, uh, pride-filled, and um, determined. I mean, they're Burger King followers. You, you know what I mean, right? They want it their way. Right, right, right? They want it their way. And, and you know what? We are too. We are too. That's why this is so relevant to us. We all want it our way but the way we get it is through humility and obedience and you got extra there that's not in my notes it just came to me Um, all right now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said so I declared on my oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest 
Again, two, two people, those who didn't enter, those who can and have entered, right? So don't we, we don't get confused. He's just saying, they didn't, you can, you are. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. Think back to creation. On the seventh day, God created it good and he rested. He rested from his work. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit more uh, later. For somewhere he's spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, They, those disobedient ones, Burger King followers, uh, they didn't and will not enter into my rest. Verse 6, Therefore, since it remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God set a certain day calling it today. This, is, this he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, Psalm 95 is the passage being quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken about or spoken later about another day. Therefore, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters the God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter into that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. This was really driven home to me this week as I was preparing. Uh, man, I have used verse 12 in isolated context, and it is so much more powerful attached to where it belongs. It is. It is it's so much more powerful exactly where it belongs. For, now remember, the work of the Spirit in us. For, the Word of God is alive and active Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And I want to tell you, if you find that as judgment, I want to challenge you and say, no, that's the best invitation you've ever heard in your life. Let it go. Let it go. Because God's way is better. So let's move on. Remember, I already, gave you the, I already gave you the primary. What's the message of Hebrews? Pay attention. Pay attention. Uh, when we pay attention, we have to pause. Uh, giving our attention to actively engage in rest requires that we examine our lives that you examine your life, that I examine my life. The questions I would ask this morning simply, are, are we willing to pause long enough to pay attention? Like the spiritual practices, that, that's what the spiritual practices engage, a pause to pay attention. The prayer of examine simply is a prayer to end your day or any time during your day you want to practice it to say, where have I experienced the favor, the blessing, the smile, the delight of God? And where is it that perhaps I've experienced the absence of God and I feel as though he was asleep in the boat, not paying attention? We think about that. And it doesn't require words. It just requires silence and solitude. 
We're not asking anything more than to say, show me where you are. Let me see your work so that we're encouraged in the places that we experience affirmation, love, and joy. And we're encouraged in the places where there's darkness, shadow, isolation, and loneliness because the prayer of examine asks us to revisit that hollowness and ask this question, God, would you show me where you were? Because it says, Scripture tells us he's everywhere all the time. Would you show me where you were and where you are so that I can find my, it doesn't say it, but I can find my rest in you. So, am I willing to pay attention? Am I willing or in, in creating space to engage the rhythms? Am I available to pause and pray? Engagement to pause and pray equals prayer that stirs up the soil of my soul in and through which I may grow. All of the practices we've been talking about previously in this Rhythm of Grace series is about cultivating our heart and our soul and our mind and our being to be receptive to God's rest. If I say the questions we have to ask are those, I have to leave you with a final question, and that's simply this. If we find ourselves in this place, am I willing to deal with my resistance and refusal? Resistance and refusal, as identified in the text, is simply deaf ears and hard hearts right? If you have small children in your life, you're raising them or they're your grandchildren, right? There are places and spaces where they are not listening and it's like, you know, they're just not listening. How, how much do we do that to God when he's trying to speak to us? Oh, no, 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 no. We're, we're not listening. And then how much do we harden our hearts? And so coming back again to the pause, to the wait, Adele Alberg says, that Sabbath rest is God's way of saying, stop, notice your limits, don't burn out. The theme of Hebrews is simply this, the rest of God is available to us now and later. Right? Because there's this eschatological thing that's happening here. It's not just for now, but it's a Revelation 21 now that behold, God is making all things new. Not making new things. Making all things new. Verse 1, Therefore, since the promise of entering rest still stands, let us be careful that none have been found to have fallen short of it. It's available to us. There's this challenge that we face and that's the challenge of not entering into the available rest of God because of disobedience rest is available to us as we yield ourselves and our agendas to faith and obedience again there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God for anyone who enters the rest of God must also rest from their works just as God did from his 
Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that none will perish by following their own example. You ever thought about that for a second? God resting. God resting from his works. Surely it wasn't because he was tired. Surely it wasn't because he was tired. The best understanding of rest as I know it is that his rest was a celebration of overflowing love and the pleasure he takes in his good creation. God rested from his work because his creation was complete and it is good. We can rest from our work because God will sustain us as he sustains us in his good creation. The rest that we experience liberates us from the incessant straining for perfection. God's good and persevering work in this world and in us by faith gives us confidence. Shout out to Brandon McCaleb. Perseverance of last week. The perseverance of the faithfulness of God. This confidence creates trust. Trust allows a freedom that releases us from the demand that things must be done our way. Trust positions us to yield to God in faith and obedience. In doing this, we find participation in deep fellowship and intimacy with God. Remember, all who enter rest do so in faith and obedience. I want to talk about three practices that lead us to finding this rest that is promised. Uh, One of them often eludes us because we don't necessarily see it as spiritual, but these practices will assist us in giving ourselves and our, our agendas to God in faith and obedience. I see them included in the great commandment, Luke 10, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the response of the lawyer who's asking Jesus the question, what do I need to do to experience life? That, that's his response, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, sinks, you know. And, and Jesus says, answer this, you, you answered correctly, do this and you will live. So three practices that create life in us, right? Life in Christ. The first one is rest for the body. Rest for the body. Now that's the one that's not so spiritual in most of our thinking. Just physical rest. There's this, there's this other way of thinking about it though. And uh, a quote by Wayne Muller is helpful to me. And so it says this, because we do not rest, we lose our way. Poisoned by the hypnotic belief that good things come only through unceasing determination and tireless effort, we can never truly rest, and for want of rest, our lives are in danger. Ruth Haley Barton in her book, Silence and Solitude, said there's two kinds of rest. She says there's a good rest, and I've already introduced you to that rest. 
because the good rest is the kind of rest that we experience after having completed a job that was well done. It's an accomplishment that we set out to make. And if we're living in healthy rhythms of work and rest, the tiredness that comes from good rest we understand is temporary. And when it comes to us, we know that we can take appropriate time and place for rest and recuperation, and soon our strength and our energy will return to us. But she says there's another kind of rest, and she calls that dangerous tired. Dangerous tired. And she says it's a a deeper and more serious than temporary exhaustion. She says the difference between good tired and dangerous tired is the difference between atmospheric conditions. Growing up in Oklahoma, I'm familiar with what she goes on to say. She says there's a difference in predictable spring showers and the eerie green-tinted skies that present the possibility of tornadoes. One atmospheric condition is normal and predictable. The other is risky and volatile. Here's what I want to suggest to you. While we encounter the normal and predictable, our culture more regularly invites us to live in the risky and the volatile. You say, what What do you mean? Let me try and explain to you. When we're talking to other people, what happens is we regularly asked about our condition. How's your week? It was busy. It was busy. I want to suggest that that's a regular response from large numbers of people in the culture that we live because we applaud, we applaud busy. We wear busy as a merit badge, right? Busy! The reason we wear it as a merit badge is because it's a recognizable precursor to achievement. Right? The way we think about it. Well, it's a necessary precursor to achievement, especially for those of us who are important people like me. Right? Right? I, I mean, isn't that what I'm saying when I say busy quite regularly? It's true, but it's really about, man, I'm working really hard, and look, I, I got my badge of achievement on, and, uh, you know, I am very important. Not only am I important, but I'm productive. And so this life of busy, busy, busy often leads us to the unexamined life that leads us vulnerable and at risk to the volatile storm of anxiety and depression and depletion and loneliness and lostness. So I just want to say to you, Can we pause long enough to rest? You ever ever tried to pray and fall asleep? Uh, Yes. (laughs) Yes. And then when when you realize from your catnap you're awakened, uh, have you ever felt that twinge of guilt, like shame? Oh, man, I, I tried to pray and I couldn't even stay awake. Have you ever thought about that God knew what you needed most? Right? Have you ever thought that 
Here's, here's how it works for me regularly. I fall asleep and I wake up and think, oh man, I didn't pray. And you know what I run off and do? Get busy. Rather than saying simply, I, God gave me some rest and now I have time later in the day to find another moment where my more relaxed body can pray. Rather than setting a new appointment, I walk away tail tucked between my legs, shame-filled and wounded. Physical rest is a gift from God. We all need it. Pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. Your busy life will not produce what you think it will. It is not rest for your soul. Which leads me to the second, rest for my soul. Rest for my soul. Parker Palmer, literally a friend from the Friends Church, reminds us that there is a space necessary in our lives for the emergence of our soul. And the emergence of our soul requires deep silence and solitude. He likens the emergence of our soul to viewing animals in the wild. Right? Um, viewing animals in the wild. If you go around beating and thrashing and jumping and whacking, there are none to be found except in their running away, and you generally don't see them, you hear them. But what he says is, if we're really intent on finding those wild animals, we sit quietly in silence and we wait. And he says that the best gift we give ourselves in our rest for the soul is silence and solitude. But then, again, Adele Calhoun reminds us, God's Sabbath reality calls us to trust that the Creator can manage all the concerns, all that concerns us in this world, and we can settle into rest. In quietness and solitude, our, our souls find safety and a pleasant place to appear. And I jumped in my notes and they kept up with me. So I'm going to go back and say, rest for the soul creates a Sabbath rest. And so God is a nurturer and guide. I can risk being seen by him because he cares for me. I can rest in him because he loves me. There's another place where we have to give ourselves rest. It's rest for our mind. And simply when I talk about rest for my mind, we live our best lives when we resist the notion that life is a problem to be solved. We live our best lives when we resist the notion that life is a problem to be solved. Being present to God and others is regularly the best gift we give to ourselves and that we can offer to others. It's the best gift that we receive from others as I think about rest for my mind I hear the voice of my spiritual direction director as he has often prayed over me and for me may you stand in the long and loving gaze of Jesus 
not something to be solved, it's presence to be engaged. May you stand in the longing, love, and gaze of Jesus. And my words that I always add internally are these, without resistance. Without resistance. To receive the love of God has to permeate our resistance and there's enough force field around most of us that it takes a while. But I want to tell you truthfully, God knows you as you are. He loves you as you are. He meets you as you are. He meets you where you are. And he loves you so much, he won't leave you where you are. Again, Adele Alberg says, Jesus took specific aim at the misunderstanding of the Sabbath. As Lord of the Sabbath, he freely interpreted the Sabbath command, claiming that God gave it to people as a restorative, recuperative gift. God did not intend for life to be all effort, so he punctuated each week with 24 hours of Sabbath rest, during which people, here it is, during which people could remember what life is about and who life is for. Loving God with everything we've got, loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. So I finish with this. If God is a nurturer and guide, and I can risk being seen, and that God cares for me, and I rest in Him, am I willing to pray? Oh Lord, give me grace to deal with my resistance and refusal of your great love. Open my deaf ears that I might hear. Soften my hard heart that I might receive all you have for me. I want you to stand. We're closing. That's a beginning place, but I come back to the questions I asked previously. Are you willing to pay attention to the wooing of Jesus if you've not given your life to Christ and it makes any sense to you today? The wooing of Jesus invites you to follow him and give your life to him. If that's who you are, would you pay attention to that voice this morning and say yes to the invitation? The question I ask is answered by not will you, but I will create space to engage the rhythms of grace. I'll create space. Simplest way you do that is you just put it on your calendar. Like it's not mysterious. And if you miss it, you just put it on your calendar again. And if you miss it, you just put it on your calendar again. And if you miss it, you just put it on your calendar again. If you say 20 minutes and you make 10 minutes, you celebrate. No shame. I'll create space to engage the rhythms of grace. And as you create space to engage the rhythms of grace, what becomes more regular in your everyday, ordinary life is an availability to pause and pray as you navigate your day.
Remember, pausing and praying creates fertile soil in my life in which I may grow in the practices that we've been talking about in the series of Rhythms of Grace and more. So if you're on our ministry team, I want you to come now. If you're a small group leader or you're a leader in the church, I want you to come now and just be available to those who want to respond. I give my life to following Jesus. I create space to engage the rhythms of grace. I'm available to pause and to pray in my everyday, ordinary life. So uh, we're going to pray a prayer of blessing and we're done. If you need prayer for any reason, let me demystify this. The reason we do this every week is because it's an ordinary encounter with the grace of God. It's space for grace. So, listen, you don't wait until your life is falling apart to come for prayer. You Come, yeah, come. If your life's falling apart, come. Right, right? But doggone it, don't wait to get there. The nudge, the invitation, the hint, the welcome of God. He just says, you know the voice I'm talking about because God speaks to you. Go, go get prayer. Go, go. Well, let me say go because it's a normal means of grace. This is what the people of God do. This is what the people of God do. We pray for one another. We receive from one another. So if you're desiring prayer for any reason, I want you to come now. I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over us, and we're done for today. Be sure to get your kids from children's ministry. Uh, there will be uh, students... Uh, who are waiting on us, that children's workers and students' workers will love us more, um, me more, if you'll go get them and uh, you can come back for prayer. Today, I bless your people, O oh Lord, again with the invitation of rest. Even now, as we pause for a second, Lord, I, I pray that as we just pay a briefly attention, being attentive to our breath, it's your breath in our lungs that gives us life. So therefore, we give back to you what you've given to us. May we enter the intimacy of your great love in deeper ways with joy and gladness, welcoming you to meet us as we are, where we are, for your good glory, and through us, the good of others. I ask for a kindness represented in Psalm 23 to be awakened in us as regular recipients. Psalm 23, just the last verse, Surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. I pray, Lord, that you'll remind us you're not just following us. Your goodness and your mercy are chasing after us for our engagement and our inclusion. Chase us, O oh Lord, I pray, and cause us to receive your great love in greater measure. This I ask in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Until we meet you again, the Lord be with you. Go in peace.